All right, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of James. Thanks again to those couples who have shared. We continue, this is our last in, our, in the series in, in marriage. Thank you for those people who have fed back. Uh, it's been very encouraging to hear a number of you go away and uh, have conversations that maybe you've delayed or postponed, uh, raise some things that have been a, a healthy thing to do. We deliberately did not call this series Seven Steps to a Perfect Marriage or How to Have a New Spouse by Saturday, right? What we're looking at is exploring this concept that sitting underneath an intentionality that should be there with your marriage is understanding what marriage is about and what are the key issues, barriers that sit underneath it, selfishness primarily, sinfulness, that are stopping the reality of your marriage being thriving in a, in a way that it should. There's a, a famous um, study where they asked people this question, <clears throat> how large, so, so couples, married couples, how large was your personal contribution to keeping the place tidy in percentages? So they ask them separately, and then you add the two numbers together, and it should add up to what? 100%. Any guesses what it tends to add up to? Over or under? Over. <laughs> Substantially over, right? And they, they asked the number of like all sorts of elements with it, you know, what did you contribute and taking out the garbage and da-da-da, lots of domestic kind of chores. But they would also ask the question, what about your contribution to conflict or quarrels in your marriage? What do you think happened then? Way under. Way under. <laughs> Way under. Actually, interestingly enough, it still generally added up to 100%. A lot less than comparing it to domestic chores. But often when people are self-reflective, they will say, and, and, and do it separately and independently from the other person, maybe not in front of them, that they, they do acknowledge their contribution in reality to a number of things that can be issues within the marriage. Oh, I had my notes under the book. What I want to do this morning is kind of tie in some things that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks and sort of elevate them forward in our mind as to what's the posture and thoughts that sit underlying um, me wanting and desiring to move forward in the marriage relationship that I have. Paul Tripp um, writes words better than I can say them, so I just want to read something that he described, which could very easily have described me in very many ways. He says this, I was heading for disaster, and I didn't even know it. Now, don't misunderstand. I wasn't a constant monster, and I really did want my marriage to, to, to Luella, his wife, to work. The problem was that there were things inside me that made the kind of marriage, this book, it's out of his book, What Did You Expect?, that made the kind of marriage this book is about utterly impossible. I analyzed, rationalized, criticized, and generally pointed the finger, but there was no escaping it. I was the problem. I had been surrounded by grace, and grace that would not, that grace that would not rest until I had been delivered from the one thing that I could, could not escape by myself, 
that is me. Love of self still gets in the way of love for God and love for one another. You see, the greatest battle in your life has nothing to do with your career or your family or where you live or even your relationships. The greatest area you must conquer in your life is your selfish orientation. It'll come out in different forms for everybody here in this church. We all have what I would call a sin profile. The way it came out for me in my marriage when I entered into it will be different from the way that it comes out in yours. There'll be some similarities. The way he described it there, this idea of of not wanting to take responsibility for what was wrong in my relationship and so I rationalize and criticize and justify and point the finger is because I needed someone to blame, but I didn't want it to be myself. And if we're honest, that is the, the, the great battle that exists in our life. And if it is the great battle that exists in our life and we know that it is destructive generally in life, then it is a dead-set killer when we bring it into our marriages, (laughs) right? And so there's something about this way that Paul Tripp is describing, how grace is pursuing us to draw us out of that. And we must, in our lives, acknowledge it and be humble enough to accept what God is doing. Think about some of the words that Jesus said. He would say, If anyone wants to come after me, they must first do what? What's the first thing he says they should do? Deny self. Isn't that interesting that that's first? Before one can be filled with what God wants to do or walk in a path of obedience, I have to have a degree of denial of something called self, a self-orientation, a selfishness, a self-centeredness. And we have to, in our lives, think about what that looks like. And marriage is a great place, interestingly enough, as we've seen, where it is revealed to us. It's a test. It's a trial. It both is a revealer, but also a place where I am refined if I am open to it. He said again, Gentiles lord it over others, right? But he said, not so with you. Do you want to become great? What does he say you need to do? You need to learn to serve, giving up of oneself for the benefit of another. He was talking a parable one day about somebody who built this incredible um, materialistic wealth in this world. And then at the end of it, he says, what if, he asked this question, what if you gained the whole world, yet in the process of that you're forfeiting your soul? I think he's saying it in a present tense, not not just forfeit your soul kind of in some future thing, that in the process of accumulating stuff for yourself, you're forfeiting your soul. And then the great example of the, for the Son of Man himself, Jesus Christ, did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So not only do we have this call from Jesus Christ, but we have this example of Christ himself. So come with me to James, and let's look at these two principles that I want to pull out of James and Ephesians, and then we'll consider how that might apply in a relational sense, particularly in our marriages. 
So the first one is this. James chapter 4, verse 6. In many ways, it's a high point in the book of James that he wants to bring you to and focus in on. In James 1, 5, he said, God wants to be generous to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. He wants to pour into your life. He wants to give you the wisdom and understanding that you lack and you can't find in you. It doesn't exist in you. If you look for it in you, it'll be a selfish-focused wisdom. So you've got to get it from externally from you. And he longs to give it to you. That's why he gets to this point here and he goes, but I can't do that for someone who's proud. It, can't, it just does, it can't happen. That, that, that flow of generosity is blocked by my pride and selfishness. But he shows favor or grace to the humble. So if we think of it like a pipeline, when I am humble, when I understand and accept this, this selfishness and sin that I have in me, my rebelliousness, my desire to be my own king of my kingdom, my desire to be God, when I let that go and, and humbly, the generosity can kind of flow. And flow is a direct kind of thing, but often comes through people that are around us in Christian community and ideally in the marriage space itself. Second principle is found in Ephesians 5. And at the start of Ephesians 5, it says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the general principle at the start of Ephesians 5 of what he's applying. There's a self-sacrificing that we learned about Jesus Christ loved us, and that love is an action, giving up, right, for us. And because I'm a dearly loved child, I'm called to walk in the way of love. But then we come down in verse 25, and he, he takes the husbands out, right? He says, men, husbands, come with me. I want to take this general principle, and I want to apply it in your marriage relationship. And there's a, an interesting exploration that you need to do and think about in your life as to why he really directs and hones this down in on husbands. I have some very strong suspicions, <laughs> right? I suspect that we're maybe not naturally good at this, but when we enter into that space, God beautifully does something in a man, in a husband, in a father that has a beautiful effect within the family and in the communities that we live in and operate. It's a particular call that he, that he asks men to rise up and do. He says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's our example. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father, 
father and mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. There's a mystery to it that we have to explore and, and understand. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I just want to pull out the verse there in the center of that. It says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Do you you get that, what he's saying there? This picks up on the idea from the beginning of Genesis, right, where he says, a man, husband, right? A man leaves his father and mother, and then is united to his wife. And it says, "The what? How many? The two shall become one." So, in the marriage vow sense, in which I say love and cherish, in the historical kind of version of him, I'm not sort of saying here's this independent person, and we're now going to walk in this happy, happy life together because I found my soulmate. And they're not going to expect any change from me. And I don't really want, you know, because they're already perfect and they just need to carry on in the way they are, which is the modern kind of thinking with marriage. It's deluded as it is. This, someone says, now we're together. My, my body now is cheered. It no longer just belongs to me. My mind, my thoughts... My emotion, my time, my being is now intricately tied with another person. I I think this is why marriages can be wonderful places, but they can also be the most devastating places to be in. Because there's this hope that sits there with it, or this call that sits there with it. And when it is so far away from what this call is, it can feel so destructive that you feel like it's a damage to your own soul. And that's correct. And that's correct. So here we have this concept here. We want to pull these two ideas in. Marriage restoration... (laughs) which is primarily what I had in mind for this series. We've talked a lot about the reality of coming into marriage and how it's hard work loving the stranger. It's hard work because the expectations that you didn't even fully realize you had are not met. It's it's difficult because there's a whole lot of things that you encounter as you walk through life that you just never thought you would have to there's your own sin and your own habits and let alone the other persons that you have to work through. And so marriage restoration and sustenance, the, the, the food going forward, requires two things. Firstly, a posture of humility of yourself. Just a posture of humility. And secondly, the practice of sacrificial love, giving up of oneself for another, and they're very much connected and go hand in hand. So let's just work through, um, this is what we looked at last week from the end of James 3. This is a, a helpful way to describe what, what, would, what would be present in a marriage that is displaying a wisdom that is coming, that is coming from God. Now, I just want to whip through a few here elements that I think um, this is far from a complete list. (laughs) 
But I just want to run through a few ideas here that could prompt you to think, what does this look like when I bring it into the real world of my life, my marriage, my family? And by the way, a lot of these relational things have their specificity in marriage, but they have a broader one if you're single as well, right? I mean, they're just elements we understand what God is trying to do in getting me away from my selfishness and towards life-giving sacrificial love for others. It'll work its way out in all sorts of relationships. Uh, I never know how to say his name. Uh, he's South African, so if I say it wrong, please correct me. Winan? Winan? No, I still didn't get it right. Jacobs, he heads up Family Life New Zealand, which I'll, I'll, I'll mention in a minute. He says this, relationships that thrive have intentionality. Relationships that thrive have intentionality. Point number one, if, if I have a, a place of humility, if I have a place of understanding that this other person is now in a very real sense me, then when they're hurt or suffering or not thriving, then I am as well. And so I have an intentionality of finding out where they're at, what's going on, where can we work, where can we get better, right? And it's really important that, that we do this and think about ways that we can go about it. I think I mentioned in one of the other ones, we have no shortage of marriage material. What we have a shortage of is, of is intent, so Cathal guys sometimes go, um, how, about, how about we watch something on marriage together? And I'll be like, oh, I'll just stay here and watch this paint dry for a little bit longer. Right. Now, I don't want to be genderist a little bit in it, but I, I'll tell you what, most of the time I find that is the case. <laughs> Maybe that's why in Ephesians 5 it's the direct one to husbands to, to get at us, to prick at us, to goad at us. There's, there's, a, there's a beautiful thing in manhood, masculinity, that causes us to strive and have independence, and it's a helpful thing when it's reined in in its proper place. It's an ugly thing when it becomes hyper or toxic masculinity, but it's a beautiful thing when it's reined in and done properly, when you combine it with humility and with sacrifice. So we need to have intentionality. Friendship and companionship. You saw that a number of, all of the couples said this, right? You have to find the activities that you do together. And it was interesting just seeing the different dynamics with personalities. It's, it's different in every relationship, how it kind of operates, but you still have to have it in, in place. And I just got a comment there, please not always screens. <laughs> we, we were at one stage in our marriage, we had young children, we were tired, exhausted, kind of most of the time, and the TV was the main spot in the lounge, and we would just turn it on every night. And one of the best decisions we made was we, we literally picked that TV up one day and we walked it around and we put it in the garage so we couldn't turn it on. And you kind of think, well, how will you fill your time? Well, you might start talking to one another. You, I just screen whole element of stuff of doing things. You feel like you're doing it together, but to be honest, how often do you feel like you've actually not? I'm not saying never do it. I'm just saying just think about it in it. How are you developing and, or keeping up your friendship and your companionship? It's such the oil that keeps the engine running within it. It's critical. 
I've got the police be real about sin, bad habits, destructive behaviors, these things that I had to deal with that came from my wilderness years as a teenager where I was a long, long way away from God and there was a tale from those that continued on in my life. I had a desire to follow Christ and I would do that in a very public way but there were things in my life that, that were destructive for me and very much for our relationship and so I had to deal with those, right? But I would, um, it's much easier to hide them it's much easier to pretend that we're okay. But you know, right? There's a sense in which you know how much they can be destructive. And I've put there particularly what I call fantasy worlds. There's so much more opportunity to live in a place of fantasy today rather than in the place of reality. And it's a, it's a, it's a gigantic issue because in the fantasy world, it's nice and easy I don't have to worry about emotional connection and opening up and da-da-da-da-da. I can create all this wonderful life of how I could imagine it to be, but it's fantasy. It's fantasy. And fantasy eats away at your ability to live in reality. And so I put examples there. Uh, uh, romance novels, no matter whether they have a Christian author or not, I've put down their pornography. There's a whole number of ways that we could so, sort of explore it. Sorry just to throw it in, in there and quickly in that kind of way, but I want you to see in behind it what, why you need to deal with it and why you need to open it up for the, the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in your life. Find healthy ways of expressing your emotions, right? Men, by the way have as many emotions as women. That might be a surprise to some of you, right? They experience as many emotions in their inner being as women do, right? You've got to find ways of healthily expressing it. And by the way, there's unhealthy ways that both genders do it, right? You've got to find ways that, that work and that operate, you can't think, well, the way I do it so much better than the way you've got to both find healthy ways of working together and expressing it in healthy ways. And that's why I put down there. Talk about what aspirations God might want for you together. That passage in James really spoke a lot to me when you know what it says about how you plan and you think about tomorrow and da 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 and you're going to build all these things and it's just just stop, stop. What does God will for your life? What is it that God wants you to do individually and collectively together? What is the ministries that he's calling you to be, you to be part of that you collectively do? It's, re, it's it, I, just is such a critical one as um, of people in a Christian marriage relationship. This is um, Paul and Luella Tripps. Um, I won't go through all of these commitments, but this is what he brought. He does it in his book. He brings them out and says, these are the commitments we made to one another coming out of what he was confessing about his life. And uh, they're in his book. By the way, I'll put these PowerPoints up on our webpage tomorrow, along with a whole lot of other links of, of, of things that I, I think can be very helpful. Uh, in the elective space, uh, after this, we're going to talk about three things the first one is, what about when one spouse isn't interested? 
What do you do? And we're going to go through those five areas. Uh, we're going to look at the differences between what is, can be just an unhealthy relationship, but what else is a destructive or an abusive one. So I, I was in the space of trying to talk about ones that, that have issues with health, but there is abusive, destructive relationships, and you have to be able to differentiate between the two because there's different ways that you go about um, fixing those. And then we'll talk a little bit about gender and independence, interdependence, if we get some time. One of the things that, uh, one of the organisations that we're going to pair up, partner up with a lot more going forward is this group called Family Life. A number of you may have heard of them. They do things called Weekends to Remember, which we highly recommend. Uh, they do day ones and stuff as well. But we're going to set up something called Marriage Mentoring. So in a couple of weeks, uh, a bunch of us are going to do, uh, do some training, a half-day training. And then what will happen is we will offer it out to the church and a couple who are a little bit further down the marriage track than another will pair up and be the mentors, and you'll meet once a month for a 12-month period. I'm really excited about this. I just think this provides a huge opportunity for you to be engaged with one other couple and just talking a lot of things through. It might be a little, sound a little bit frightening. It's not intended to be that way. It's intended to be something coming alongside and so watch this space to be able to sign up for this. And I would just really encourage you to think about how you um, uh, can encourage one another to do this. We think it can make quite a difference within our church community. This, this is how we closed our first session. And I want to just reiterate this point. What will drive your marriage is your mutual commitment to each other's godly maturity and completeness. Have a, a sense that God is wanting to do something in you and in you together. And you don't look at the hardness and the, the trials and the testing as a place where you go, everything is wrong. It may be a place where God is doing something in you because he wants you to persevere and to work through and to move you into a place of maturity and completeness. And we should all desire that. We all long to be mature and complete in the person of Christ. We're just not always sure that we want to go through the process of what might be involved in making that happen. We're going to take communion now. And I'm going to leave this verse up for us to think about as we remember. That we follow God's example, therefore is dearly loved children and we walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful imagery that we have here in Scripture. <clears throat> that right from the very beginning that you em embedded us as relational beings, that you desired for us to be in community and for many of us to be in marriage relationships. Father, we know that they can be places of beauty, but they can also be places of pain. And we pray, Lord, as we think of the marriages that exist within our church community, would you, would you help us to be open to the work that you would have to do in our lives? 
Would you show us the places where pride and selfishness is blocking us? Would you help us to become humble and self-sacrificial in ways that you want us to be? Not just as some sort of weird concept, but deeply in, in, your, in our lives, in our everyday existence, as we wake up and we walk through the day, helping one another to mature in completeness, which is what you long to do in us. We thank you, Lord, as we take the emblems now, we take the bread and the juice, that we're reminded as we take these every single week that you are the sacrificial one, that you are the one who loved us, who came in humility and sacrifice and gave us the opportunity to come back into relationship and restoration. Thank you that you are doing that and continuing to do that in the lives of your people. Mm. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.